Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome uh, to another FS Club webinar from here in London uh, at uh, 10, 10 in the morning. And we have with us uh, today uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Jaleel Buzidi, who's dialing in from Spain. Uh, today's topic, as you know, is patient capital, the key to rebalancing financial markets. You'll know me. I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors of Zien, and it really is a delight to be able to chair uh, these various FS Club webinars because they are absolutely fascinating uh, simply because our sponsors uh, allow us to range widely and freely across technology, economics and finance. So a warm thanks to all of them. And uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about today, of course, is the importance of really sticking it, uh, sticking with the game and holding on to things and, and the benefits that that can give us. Uh, so. I'm going to get out of your way in just a few moments. Uh, then uh, Jaleel is going to speak for approximately 20 to 25 minutes, uh, covering the ground of patient capital. We've got 15 to 20 minutes for questions and answers. Uh, and for a few fairly obvious questions, uh, firstly, the slides are already posted uh, on the site and will be available afterwards. Uh, the recording will go up in about 48 hours. And for the real questions that I'm asking you to provide uh, so that Jaleel and I can have a good discussion, please use the GoToWebinar chat facility. Uh, that allows you to uh, feed questions in to me and I will uh, introduce them uh, to Jaleel. Uh, there's no point in emailing me, uh, there's no point in texting me or WhatsApping me because I'm here with you and I won't get those until later. So please do use the GoToWebinar chat facility uh, to get cracking. And therefore, uh, with no further ado, uh, Jaleel, the floor is very much yours. Jaleel appears to have frozen. Uh, yep. You hear me, Michael? I think it's yep. okay now. Good. Okay. So, first of all, thank you. Thank you very much, Michael, for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here and uh, share with you uh, some few ideas. So, today we'll be talking about patient capital, and we'll start uh, with a poll. A quick, quick one. Okay. So we can move and to the next slide. I'll get that cracking. Um, so basically, today's poll is a is a straightforward one. Uh, what is the average holding period of stocks on the New York Stock Exchange? Um, so I'm going to launch the poll right now. Got a lot of uh, informed people in the audience. So Jaleel and I were hoping for a hundred percent answer on this one. Uh, people are very quick off the mark, Julia. Over three quarters of the audience have already voted. Okay. And I'll just give it a, another second or two for a few latecomers. And I'm now going to close the poll and show you the results. And as you can see, our audience is pretty well informed. Over to you, Julia. Yes, yes, fantastic. Very interesting result. So we have uh, around 60%, you know, less than one year. But what is more interesting for me is that uh, we have uh, around the part of the audience, 26%, thinking that uh, investment horizons are, you know, between three to five years or uh, even more than uh, five years for uh, 4%. So maybe yeah. let's next. Yeah, and absolutely no one was more than eight years, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, here you go. Over to you again. Yeah, so for, for those of you who answered five years, I think that you are, you are in the 80s. So as you can see, uh, in the 80s, we, we, we had, you know, 
uh, an average holding period of five years. In the 60s, it was, it was even more than that, uh, around eight years. But nowadays, you are uh, completely uh, correct. Uh, the uh, average holding period is less than one year. It's even a few months on the New York Stock Exchange. But we have similar trends in Europe. Uh, holding periods are around five months. So what we can see is that, you know, the capital markets time perspective is really shrinking. We have shrinking horizons. Uh, those of you who are familiar, you know, with the concept of portfolio turnover for asset managers, so meaning the percentage of the portfolio holdings that are replaced in a 12 month in one year period is greater than 90 percent. Um, I think it goes up to 136 percent to be more precise. For bond markets, it's not only an equity issue. You know, the daily turnover is up to 20 percent higher than historical averages. And as you can imagine, uh, this is a bad incentive for uh, strategy, for long-term planning, long-term investments, and research and development. So we are clearly in a zone nowadays where capital is impatient, and when capital is impatient, this could lead to impatient uh, business. And an impatient business also leads to a, you know, suboptimal or bad capital allocation. So let's see what's next. Yeah, so maybe this is a, an important paradox. I don't know if you uh, had in, you know, in, in the back of your mind all the figures, but we are in a world which is completely awash in money and liquidity. So as you can see in the figures, the one on the left, global liquidity uh, in percentages world, of world GDP is around 200%. So it's twice, you know, the amount of uh, global GDP at something around, you know, 180 trillion dollars so it's huge and i think that this let's call it cash paradox illustrates you know the preference of the present versus future generations and we are in a completely you know um, original and, and yet intriguing situation maybe connected also to the fact that there's not enough private investment to absorb all the private savings as we will see it you know in the next slide so what has been called, you know, by some economists and experts like Larry Server's secular stagnation uh, is exactly the situation. So there is not enough private investment to absorb all the private savings. So this is the key of the problem. It's a problem of transformation of savings into investments. And it's characterized by an environment with extremely low interest rates. So can, as you can see in the figure, uh, OECD 10-year government bond average was 4%, around 4% in 2008, and now it's falling, you know, below 1%. It's around 0.8%. And as you know, some governments, uh, Germany, France, and, and many other governments are even uh, experiencing negative interest rates. So we have also an inflation that is at very low levels in, in developed countries. And some are thinking that uh, this will probably lead to uh, weak demand, low growth in inflation, and it could be a new normal. Um, so the question is, what is the impact of uh, this very, very low interest rate you know, context on patient capital? Is it good or bad for patient capital? And what we can see is that given the risk premiums that are very high and the return on equity and return on capital that are still very high, um, it's not necessarily a good news for patient capital because, as we mentioned, we have a problem of transformation of savings into investment. So in parallel to that, uh, uh, and that is also uh, an interesting, you know, 
let's say, paradox. There's global shortage of uh, long-term investment of patient capital, uh, even if we have, you know, huge needs to face long-term challenges. Um, I'm mentioning here uh, a World Economic Forum paper of 2011, so it's quite uh, old now, but I think that it's still uh, completely up-to-date, called the future of long-term investing. So even, even what is interesting is that even for long-term investments, uh, investors, sorry, as pension funds, sovereign funds, family offices, we have uh, uh, such important liability constraints to firm short-term commitments and also uh, strong regulatory and maybe accounting constraints that even for long-term investments, we have less than 25% of the assets managed by those asset owners that are really long-term. So you can imagine, you know, with, uh, with, with other actors. And meanwhile, we have huge needs. If we take only one, one big problem, uh, and that is a long-term problem, which is the fight, you know, uh, against climate change, you can see that the volume of investments needed, uh, additional annual, you know, averages to limit global warming to 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius by the end of the century, we will need between 150 billion uh, additional investments up to 1.7 trillion. So you can see that the, the estimations are, are, are quite, you know, different, but but the amounts are still huge. And the total investments needed in, in to, to transition to a low carbon energy are also huge, ranging from 0.8 trillion to 2.9 trillion dollars. Uh, so it's it's an intriguing and interesting uh, paradox. So let's see what we have next. Yeah, here I'm just asking, you know, a uh, provocative question too. We see that we have this paradox, we have issue of and problems of transformation of savings into, you know, investments. But is this patient and long-term capital the panacea and the solution for all uh, long-term problems? So we have some critics, and it's quite natural, who are, uh, you know, opposing the idea and saying patient capital is necessarily linked to lower performance. Others are saying, Short-termism is a catch-all complaint against capital markets and large public company, and sometimes inpatient capital is not linked to shareholders, but to CEOs, you know? And also that there is no empirical evidence supporting the claim that uh, managerial short-termism short leads or to, to, to uh, you know, less innovation efforts and less research and development. But what we can uh, already answer, even if uh, uh, those critiques are sometimes, you know, completely uh, accurate, is that the absence of engagement in pursuit of short-term performance is a necessary condition, you know, for a, a higher level of patience. That's true, but but you can have, you know, a focus on creditworthiness instead of share price performance, okay? Uh, and that you can generate performance on, on the long term and that it, it's better. I, I spoke, you know, to some uh, equity, private equity investors and they told me we prefer, you know, thinking about net present value instead of, uh, uh, internal uh, rate of return, IRR, or return on equity or return on capital. Why? Because if you think, you know, on a, a long-term horizon of 20 to 30 years, uh, having a net present value that is uh, uh, really high on this horizon is better than a 12 to 15% return on equity on less than a year. Uh, and the key is not, you know, to accept, to sacrifice uh, performance for, for nothing, but uh, if your assets are well managed and if you your choices are made well, patient capital could be and will be a good bet and generate a higher performance. Okay, so liquid and long-term well-managed assets generally, you know, could bring you a, a higher performance. And you know, the answers to the critics of 
you know, linked to the, the, the horizon of uh, CEOs instead of shareholders, I, I think quite correct. The answer to that is uh, um, a theory of uh, Philippe Zimbardo, which is, a, you know, a psychologist, US psychologist who, who uh, built a framework called time perspective theory, okay? So time perspective uh, of shareholders and of CEOs is key because, you know, behind uh, patient capital or capital or financial capital, you have financial actors uh, that could be individuals, that could be institutional investors, and you also have structures, you know, with shareholders, CEOs, that could have different time perspective. And uh, what is interesting is that uh, several studies show that there is a strong link between time perspective of shareholders, uh, managers, and, and also the performance of a firm. So we can move to the next slide. Yeah, so here uh, I wrote, you know, that inpatient capital for me is, is driven and maybe mainly driven by this time perspective theory. So. What is it? Uh, time perspective for individuals, you can run the test if you're interested. You can go on the web and find a quick test with 60 questions, and it will tell you if you are past-oriented, present-oriented, or future-oriented, okay? So we will not go uh, into the details, except if you have questions about this, but generally you can be past, positive or negative. You can be present hedonistic or present fatalistic, or you can be future positive and negative. So I mentioned also, you know, in the bubble in red uh, that you have for sure, several other drivers that could influence, you know, your time perspective and, and, and financial actors and that could bring you to more impatient capital territories, which are fiduciary duties, investor mandates, investor beliefs, tax treatment, prudential regulation, accounting norms, and these are really important, monetary policy, especially in, in, in nowadays contexts, and also performance metrics. So let's not forget, you know, all these uh, important drivers, but I think that you can materialize them, you know, in this, uh, patients or in patients, you know, of institutions and of individuals. So we have uh, an illustration next. This is a, a funny study. So I mentioned it, you know, uh, uh, those are psychologists who studied, you know, the potential link between uh, the future orientation, the future focus or the past focus, you know, of nations. Uh, thanks, you know, to uh, uh, search engine and they use search engine query data. And what they found is very interesting, you know, result is that, uh, as you can see, there is a strong correlation between future focus and per capita GDP growth. Uh, and I, if I remember well, the results of the studies that you have, you know, uh, uh, Germany and Switzerland ranking very high on, on the future focus uh, topics. And you have also other studies, you know, mentioning that the, the uh, German language, you know, the, the way it's built uh, um, is, you know, can drive uh, German people or, or, or German speakers uh, toward, you know, a future, a more future focus. And you can see also a negative correlation if, if it's not completely perfect between, you know, the past focus and the lower uh, GDP per capita. So time perspective is uh, important. Let's see what we have next. So, yeah, here, I, 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 you know, I draw a first list, you know, as I mentioned, uh, Behind patient capital, you have patient capital providers, you have financial actors, and uh, as you can imagine, patient capital requires long time frames, um, but also engagement, that is really important, and support for prioritizing, you know, uh, long-term over short-term gains, gains. So you have uh, classic asset owners, which, which can be, you know, uh, driven by the nature of their liabilities and be uh, natural long-term investors and long providers of long-term patient capital. So you have 
sovereign wealth funds, important actors, pension funds, insurance companies, uh, family offices. But don't forget that these guys will have to invest, you know, in, in, in hedge funds, active or passive index investors. They can invest also in venture capital. They can invest in private equity. And private equity is an interesting example because you have, you know, uh, what I call the corporate governance paradox because they are clearly targeting highest share price, you know, with, uh, with exit and clear exit strategies, but with relatively long holding periods because they're not less than one year. You know, private equity is generally between five to seven years, maybe uh, from time to time more. So you can see that uh, patience is a, a continuum and you have some temporal complexity. It's not an easy question. You can be uh, patient and engage. I think it's the better, uh, the, 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 the best, uh, you know, possible uh, configuration and framework. Uh, you can be loyal or not, and you can have a, a good uh, future-focused time perspective. But the questions that you have to ask is, uh, and to keep in mind that engagement is an important concept to be coupled with long-term focus, uh, you have to maybe also ask yourself if your investors or lenders uh, will exit if you have bad short-term performance. And this is also linked to, linked to the important concept of, uh, uh, you know, risk appetite and risk tolerance. Even if you have, uh, I don't know, a sovereign fund invested, you know, in, in your company, um, what will he do if you have, a, I don't know, 20 to 25 percent, you know, uh, crash in your, in your stock price? Will he still be loyal and engaged or do you have any, you know, problem with uh, with risk tolerance and limit at those levels that will uh, make him go out? So um, this is an important question. Let's see what uh, we have we have next. So now we move maybe to to a more interesting part, you know, after after what uh, um, the definition of, of, of the issue and the problem that is we, we have more and more inpatient capital. So maybe uh, an interesting question is what could we do about it? So I pushed several recommendations, um, especially with uh, with uh, with Michael. Um, so I rank them, you know, in asset class innovation. So we will do a focus on sustainability linked or policy performance bonds. We will talk about those. Uh, we could also have prudential innovation, as I'm sure you are aware, you know, of the debate uh, regarding uh, green supporting factor or brown penalizing factor. So must we use central banks and risk weighted assets? Uh, you know, to 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 drive uh, financial institutions' investments toward you know uh, green green investments. For example, we have also debate you know uh, linked to green collateral. I think that accounting norms are very important. Um, I will also uh, talk maybe quickly about you know green discounting. And finally, you have legal and institutional innovations. So we'll have not the time to run you know into all details. But if you have questions, feel free, and I will give you also my contact details. So if you want to to chat or discuss about this. Uh, uh, ideas I would be more than, than, than happy to discuss. Maybe what is interesting, so the, the last one is the long-term stock exchange. It, it, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not my idea. Other ones are uh, either pushed or, or, um, or ideas where, where I contributed actively, but this one is uh, supported by Eric Rice, who wrote you know, a Lean Startup. I don't know if uh, you are aware. So uh, he created basically a stock exchange focused on the long-term. Uh, currently, they don't have, uh, because it's quite new, uh, listed corporates. Uh, they offer, you know, a dual listing, but I think that uh, we will probably have in the few days uh, big companies like Airbnb that could be also listed on, on this uh, long-term stock exchange. So let's um, focus on uh, uh, the first idea linked to asset class innovation. Um, so you can, you know, hear a lot of different names. Uh, some guys call them us, uh, Michael and I, policy performance bonds, environmental policy performance bonds, or um, 
sustainability linked bonds. So we first proposed the use of such uh, instruments uh, more than 10 years ago. We wrote uh, different papers and also a book with Michael, I'm sorry, it's in French, uh, linked to this uh, green financial innovation. So what do we have? You know, we have several different ESG bond flavors, as I'm sure you're aware. We have classic green bonds that claim proceeds will be applied to green projects with a fixed interest rates, as you know. We have sustainability or ESG bonds that claim proceeds will be used for wider ESG goals. We also have the third category, sustainability or ESG bonds, where the issuer will report directly on targets, you know, like the alphabet uh, recent issue. And finally, you have policy performance bonds. And here, I think the innovation is that you link uh, financial to environmental incentives, meaning that the interest rate is not fixed, you know, like in a classic green bond, but is really linked to an achievement. And recently you have uh, the ECB, we, we talked about green collateral, that, uh, uh, you know, accepted such instruments as a collateral. So that is a, a very good news. So maybe uh, we can uh, move to the next slide and focus on recent examples. So you have uh, energy, which is uh, an American US energy company who issued recently 900 million in senior notes as a sustainability linked bonds. And um, the, the main feature is that those are, you know, as we say, pay for failure bonds, meaning that energy targets an absolute greenhouse emission of 31.7 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent by the end of 2025. So they say basically to the markets, we will reduce by this amount, uh, the absolute amount of uh, our CO2 emissions compared to 37 millions, you know, in 2019. And if we fail, we will pay you 25 BPs more, okay? So uh, what is interesting maybe is, is uh, what uh, their senior vice president and treasurer said, as you can, you can read, I think that for many companies and many investors, especially investors, there's some skepticism about what companies will do, even though there are some big announcements, uh, they will not necessarily do what uh, you know, uh, they planned. So uh, I think that it could allow companies, you know, especially those who are in, in a transition and that are, that are not necessarily pure players, green pure players. Um, so this allowed them, you know, to, to uh, maybe reach new, new type of investors. And what is interesting is that the demand for, for example, this uh, type of bond, uh, energy bond, uh, has been mainly driven by investment grade investors. And uh, as you can read, they committed, you know, to disclose the actual financial impact in the bond documentation for each, you know, issuance. And there is a 25 BB coupon uh, step up. And and uh, if uh, you are um, asking yourself about how will we check this, so basically the KPIs will be externally verified on an annual basis. And uh, the bonds, uh, contrary to a classic green bond, will uh, be used for general corporate purpose. So you don't have to tie uh, the proceeds to green projects. And then we have uh, another uh, even more recent 2021 example uh, that took place in Asia. So we have this Hong Kong property developer NWD, uh, New World Development, who issued, you know, the, the, one of uh, the, the, the first interesting sustainability linked bonds. And I will tell you why. They committed uh, to 100% of renewable energy for uh, their rental properties by 2026 in the Greater Bay uh, area, okay? And uh, in the US, uh, so the proceeds, as in the previous example, will not uh, be used uh, for green projects, but for general purposes. But what is interesting is that uh, they're committing to use the 25 basis points uh, per annum if they failed to achieve this objective to buy carbon offsets, 
Okay, so they will not pay investors, but they commit to you know buy carbon offsets to help them uh, achieve this objective. So in the case you know of a sovereign that could issue such uh, sustainability linked bonds, and I know that uh, nowadays you have some discussions um, because uh, we we don't yet have sovereigns that uh, entered into these uh, new structures. But uh, some investors could be maybe concerned by being short of the environmental performance of a government. So maybe governments will also, you know, if they fail, instead of paying uh, investors, uh, maybe uh, buy some uh, some uh, carbon offsets. And then, uh, next slide. Finally, uh, we have uh, another idea linked to uh, accounting. Uh, okay, so this is maybe a little bit uh, more intriguing and complex, but. Imagine that we have a lot of uh, sustainability-linked bonds, especially sovereign sustainability-linked bonds. Here, the idea is to say that uh, um, discounting, as you know, is, is, is very important, is king, because when you compute net present value, you know, for a period of 20 to 30 years, uh, as you know, uh, it, 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 a very small difference in some few basis points in the discounting factor that you use could use to, to big and very big differences in the net present value. And generally, when you when you compute this discounting factor, you use the risk-free rate, you know, of the government where the project is taking place. You generally also use some credit spread, maybe some liquidity spread, and that's it. So uh, my idea here is to use a climate premium that could be calibrated, you know, depending on the uh, CO2 footprint of a specific project. Uh, for example, if you have a very big footprint, you can you can add a 50 to 100 basis point, you know, climate premium in your discounting. If uh, it's a, a renewable energy, natural, uh, you know, um, CO2 natural project, you can take a zero premium. And if you do some uh, some uh, carbon capture, you could even take a negative uh, climate premium. And this could, you know, lead to very very huge you know, differences. So the, the main objective of of, of this uh, this slide is to spur you know the debate and to say that uh, accounting and discount factors that are um, almost forgotten, you know, in the analysis could be also very powerful to uh, uh, push us and uh, drive us to a, to a more uh, sustainable world. So we can move to to the next slide, but I think that uh, yes, you, you, here you have my contact details. So I'll be more than happy uh, to 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 answer if we don't have the time, you know, in the span of this uh, webinar, to uh, continue discussion with you. Jamil, that was it. That was super. We've got quite a few questions and comments here. Um, so, so to get going, I, I was just going to ask you, could you just emphasize that point again, that one of the great things about these uh, sustainability linked or policy performance bonds is that the proceeds are not hypothecated. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Proceeds are not hypothecated. You know, you are you commit yourself toward you know a scientific and environmental objective. So uh, let's say that uh, you you take your NDC engagement if you are a government and you say, okay, uh, basically uh, um, I, I said to everybody, you know, in COP21 that I will reduce by 10% my CO2 emissions. Now I will commit that if I don't achieve this target, I will pay you more, a little bit more, for example, 25 basis points or 50 basis points. But then, as you commit you know, to a scientific uh, and measurable target, uh, you can do whatever you want with the, with, with, with the proceeds, with the money. Um, you, you, your only constraint you know, is, is, to, is to respect your objective. The difference with green bonds is that uh, you commit to the use of proceeds. If uh, you default on your green promise, 
generally nothing happens because you don't have a covenant saying that uh, if you fail on your green promise, you will have to pay uh, some uh, some basis points. And you also have greater you know reporting costs because you have to to link and to uh, measure and, and 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 show what you what you did with the money. And it's not the case with the, with the uh, policy performance bonds or sustainability bonds. You are absolutely correct, but uh, you, you 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 are you you are behind this idea even more than me, Michael. <laughs> Um, one of our regular uh, viewers, Elizabeth, is curious. You've you've spoken about you opened with a question on equity uh, retention and holdings, but you've focused on debt instruments. Are there any comparable equity approaches? Um, what do you mean? I didn't get the. the you, you opened with a poll on shares and equity, right. and, yes. uh, and and what you've spoken about has mostly been about debt. Uh, are there equity approaches to patient capital? Oh yeah, sure, sure. Because it, it, it's uh, yeah. Sorry about the confusion, but uh, uh, you know, uh, it's true that lenders could provide you know patient capital, for example, banks. But uh, as you know, they are more focused on credit worthiness and 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 and, and less you know about uh, risk taking, and and it's quite uh, let's say uh, usual. But with Basel Three, as you know, and all the prudential uh, regulation, they are pushed you know towards less and less risk. So they, they, they went out, for example, uh, uh, and they sold, you know, their private equity departments and stuff like this. But uh, I think that it's equity is more important for patient capital because you can build, uh, uh, you know, uh, interesting and innovative companies like Tesla thanks to equity, not, not to, to, to banking loans, even if banking loans on the long term are important. But uh, as you know, you, you, you have a greater risk, you know, a risk sharing mechanism uh, when, when uh, when you go, you know, into 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 equity equity investments. So I didn't mention it, but uh, uh, pension funds are important. I think that uh, uh, pension funds in in the UK are, are not an issue. But if you take France, that I know quite well, we don't have pension funds. We have very 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 small pension funds. So we don't have long term investors that could invest uh, enough in equity. Uh, so that is a very big issue. That's why you have, you know, uh, uh, some sovereign funds also that are investing also in, 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 in countries like France. And I know that uh, big, big uh, companies are really interested by having these investors because they know that they are more patient. So um, the big companies are, are uh, keen to attract, you know, such uh, such uh, sovereign funds. And equity investment is key, maybe much more than that. So I'm sorry if uh, this point was not very clear in the presentation. Okay, uh, and Hugo Innes would like to continue along those lines. What are the positive incentives for equity investments that are patient? The, yes, the positive incentives, as as I, I, I mentioned, uh, are in if you are patient and if you can accept, you know, to take this liquidity uh, uh, risk, uh, you will uh, have an liquidity premium. You know, uh, I, I discussed with an equity infrastructure investor. Few days ago, a few few days ago, to prepare this presentation, and, and he told me, you know, uh, we, we look more at net present value, and our horizon is 25 to 30 years, and we know by doing this, uh, because we also are very, uh, uh, you know, uh, engaged on our projects, and we manage, we try to manage very well our assets, and thanks to our engagement. Uh, we know that uh, a positive net present value uh, on on 25 to 30 years will be less uh, will, will be much more you know uh, interesting even if you only take uh, the the uh, re return on capital or return on equity measures uh, than uh, than the classic you know return on equity of uh, let's say 12% uh, on on one year so the 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 
the, the, the positive aspect uh, of this is that if you are patient and if you manage well and if you are engaged also, it's very important, um, you can capture this illiquidity premium and you can have greater returns. But you have to be risk tolerant. You have to, to calibrate a risk capital statement or risk capital framework, you know, by telling, okay, I can accept up to, I don't know, 20% or 30%, depending on, on, on the company, on the investor, uh, on the asset owner, uh, you know, of loss a year. And if I have uh, this loss, I, I would go out. So, uh, yeah. um, some interesting comments here. Uh, Peter Cousin wonders, should governments be encouraging long-term investing? Uh, for example, by reinstating taper relief on capital gains? I think so. I think so. Uh, I, I published a paper, and I, as I mentioned, uh, it's, an, it's an issue. It's more of an issue in France than in the UK because we, we, we are in a deep lack of uh, long-term investors. Uh, so we, we, we pushed some, some ideas. Uh, for example, is to have, and I, and I know that it's quite... Uh, um, open to debate. Uh, a lot of guys are not okay with this, but uh, for me, for example, an ex-ante, not an ex-post, an ex-ante engagement, you know, to, to, to um, let's say, hold your equity investment for a certain period, for example, two years. So you invest in, in a company and uh, uh, you, you say, okay, I will stay two years, okay? Uh, then you can have, you know, uh, more voting rights. Okay. Now in France we have an ex post. So if you stay uh, two years and we see that you stay two years, we will give you uh, uh, twice, you know, the, the amount of voting rights. What I'm saying here is that we can we can uh, put it exactly, and if you engage, you know, as as an investor and to stay at least uh, two years, and then you will maybe uh, detail some some uh, opt out or exit conditions, then you can have immediately uh, more voting rights. Why, why not? And another idea. Uh, is to help also individuals, not uh, institutional investors, you know, to, to, to have some, uh, and maybe this is quite technical, but to have some, uh, uh, the equivalent of repo, you know, repurchase agreements, and to allow you to sell your voting right, because generally when you are diluted, you are not really engaged. If you have 0.0001%, you know, of, uh, for example, BNP Paribas in France, what's the interest? What's the point for you to go to the General Assembly and to engage with managers and to try to influence them? So maybe uh, the idea is uh, for you to, 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 to extract the value of your voting right, to give it uh, to, to, to a specific company, why not a proxy? Uh, and uh, the counterpart of that is that they will give you some money. And what is interesting is that the value of this voting right is, is not zero, uh, far from that, uh, as, as some big uh, technology companies understood. Um, and uh, I think that by doing this, and extracting some 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 money uh, from your voting right, you know, you can you can encourage uh, more long-term investments. Other ideas are to create more sovereign funds, uh, maybe at the European level, uh, at country level. Uh, it could be interesting also. Uh, Bob McDowell comments, uh, you know, you might want to respond to him. Would limited forms of capital controls, which de which deters short-term investment, help address the problem? Um, what do you mean by limited uh, uh, forms of capital controls? Exactly. Well, you know, the, the ability to realize uh, capital that's exported from the country, for example. Oh, mm. yeah, uh, I, I'm not a big fan. I, I, I see what you mean, but uh, we, we have the debate uh, currently in, in, in France with uh, uh, Couchetard. I don't know if you know Couchetard, which is a, Can which is a Canadian uh, company who, who 
who suggested to buy and is trying to buy Carrefour, which which is uh, the equivalent of of uh, Walmart in the U.S. So we have the um, uh, economy minister Bruno Le Maire who said even before having a look at the fight, uh, it's a sovereignty issue. No, I would block this. We don't even have to discuss. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, Trevor, Trevor Hilder remarks that France seems to lack pension funds in the same way that we have in the Anglo world. Does that does that change your views at all, or how do you view that? You you, you mean uh, re re regarding the, the lack of pension funds? Yeah, the France? structured pension fund that we, we we see as typical here in in the in the UK, US, and Canada. Absolutely. If, if we had uh, pension funds in France, I don't think we will have the same uh, the same discussions. I, I remember in 2013-14, uh, we also had the issue with General Electric, who bought you know the uh, power branch of Alstom, Alstom, which still exists, but as a transport company, you know, building uh, trains and stuff like this. But uh, uh, by the time they were also uh, you know in the uh, in energy and power uh, sector, and. Uh, we had a, a very large French investor, which is Bouygues, who wanted to sell, you know, their equity investment in in uh, in Alstom. Uh, it was around four billion, if my memory is correct. But we had nobody, no investor in France, willing to commit, you know, to 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 buy this this four billions. So then you don't have to be amazed if you have a, uh, another company coming from abroad, you know, and, and buying this. I know that there are also industrial synergies and other other drivers for sure. But uh, I think that the biggest issue for, for countries like France is that we don't have, you know, long-term investments. And pension fund, it, it's like a, a, a bad world, bad buzz, because, you know, you have workers and you have uh, guys from the left or extreme left that, that think that pension funds are bad and they are, you know, uh, evil and that they will pressure companies. So you cannot you even, you know, uh, use the word pension funds. It's, it's taboo. <laughs> but I think yeah. it's a mistake. Um, now, a couple. Of, I'm going to wrap a couple together here. Uh, John Spain uh, agrees with you that for long-term projects, accounting by reference to the discount process is inappropriate. One one number is 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 completely useless. So your proposal to consider the discount rate, he has some uh, sympathy with. Um, we then have uh, Christopher Gleedle pointing out that there are many investment opportunities available today that focus on the integration of diverse technologies that are already available to accelerate action on climate and social issues. Uh, and they have a lower starting footprint and perform stronger over the long term. Uh, do you see attention uh, improving uh, towards these solutions uh, and you know that they could please impatient investors? And very uh, finally, I might, I might tuck in here, uh, Matthew Leach is curious about what types of projects towards sustainability must unavoidably be structured as years of net expenditure before there is any prospect of net cash inflows. So, uh, you know, a lot of tensions here on the timing and the integration of diverse technologies. Yes, yes, you, you, you are absolutely right. I think that uh, we also have an issue. Um, it's true that the price, you know, for renewable energy is going down and it's a good news. But uh, I think that uh, the problem with, the, with with sustainable finance today is that it's quite binary. We focus on either you know pure players which are uh, uh, completely green, or uh, we focus you know on on punishing and divesting from uh, from brown and and, and bad companies. Uh, uh, so what about uh, you know the, the spectrum and the continuum between the two? 
um, you have a lot of companies that are willing to, to transition, and I think that uh, sustainable finance must help them with instruments like you know policy performance bonds, but uh, these are probably not uh, the only instruments that could help. And uh, regarding the question about you know green technology, it was also of the one of the drivers that led us with Michael, you know, to to, to publish this book and 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 push. Uh, such an idea because uh, uh, if you have uh, uncertainty you know regarding you know the, the the price for example of energy or co2 um, it's very complicated for you as a private investor uh, you know to 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 take these risks and and not you know to to, to share them uh, so we think that governments sovereign you know uh, must help uh, in, in 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 this in this regard and and you can imagine also a lot of uh, different you know even securitization you can you can imagine you know uh, uh, some maybe quite complex instruments uh, where you can have like for pharmaceutical companies you know structures uh, spvs uh, special purpose vehicles where you can have you know a pool of uh, many different green technologies and you know that uh, if one of them uh, is successful you can have a, a, a great uh, uh, payoff you know a great coupon on the other side of your balance sheet so why not you know structure uh, such pools and special purpose vehicles you know to 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 encourage green uh, green technology um i, I didn't get the, the the final question michael uh, regarding cash flows i, I don't know if uh, it's a kind of copy. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link um, we'll after, after that. Just have time for two quick questions. Well, they're all big questions, but uh, we have an impatient audience, I think. Here. Um, John Spain uh, actually comments back to say that UK pension funds of late seem to be moving away from patient investment, so maybe not quite as rosy a, a comparison as it used to be. Uh, Andrew Ross uh, picks up uh, on a point you just made that sovereign and municipal bonds are usually investing in infrastructure, uh, which stimulates long-term uh, sustainable growth. So uh, patient capital is related to that. Um, and then uh, sort of a pointed question along that same line. And here in the United Kingdom back in, I think it was 2012, John Kay published a review of uh, long-term patients, uh, you know, investing for the long-term. Uh, which didn't really do very much, sadly, or at least that uh, we, we can detect. And in fact, we ran a very large uh, long finance conference on that subject back then. Uh, but basically, uh, the first question is, uh, again, from Bob McDowell, political perspectives uh, within jurisdictions are generally short term. Uh, what, what influence do you think that has on capital investment? Yes, uh, th thanks for, for, for this question. It's a very important uh, one. And, and, and as you know, I talked about, you know, this time perspective theory and uh, politicians also have their time perspective. And it, it's, it's true that it's maybe one of the limitations of, uh, of our democracies, even if our democracies are, I think, uh, uh, functioning, still functioning quite well and that are, uh, you know, exhibiting better results than, than other form of uh, uh, state, you know, uh, organizations, but uh, it's true that, you know, with, with media pressure, you know, the elections that can happen in four to five years, you're right. Uh, you, your time perspective is, 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 must be present oriented. Uh, you cannot do, you know, some, some long-term thinking, uh, some, you know, uh, uh, perspective and, 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 in, in, in the, uh, the world, world, you know, in, in, in our countries and democracies, you don't see a lot of reports, you know, uh, uh, that would push you to 20, 30, or maybe 40 years or beyond. The only agencies that do this are agencies like CIA, 
you know, CIA publish uh, every four years, so now they will publish uh, the, 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 their next, you know, paper for the, the world, for example, in, in 2040. Uh, in France, we don't see a lot of uh, a lot of this. I don't know if the UK you have the, the same problem, but uh, you are completely right. The political perspectives are are also shortening, and this could uh, damage. That's, that's one of the great things about your idea: the sovereign bonds would force those policies to be longer. And as I frequently said, our, our problem in in the West is not making decisions. We we get up every day and make a new one. The question is is sticking to them in many ways. Yeah, um, and, and then just very finally, it, it squeezes in. A um, couple of comments here, Hugo, Bob, and others, but basically about technology companies uh, and those which have got a very heavy reliance on non-tangible assets, uh, which, you know, as you look at the tech giants and realize that virtually all of them have emerged in the last two decades, uh, they have a heavy reliance on non-tangible assets and are more susceptible to volatility driven by technology advances, which creates more short-term focus on performance. Um, so, you know, given all of this new tech required, what are the incentives for entrepreneurs going forward? Um, so just, just sort of curious how you feel about the technology world, which does seem to be driving many perceptions of, of returns. It's a very interesting question. Um, I think about Jeff Bezos, you know, and Amazon. Uh, why? Because I think that uh, a part of his genius is that he helped to convince financial markets that uh, classic financial performance is not a good metric. The good metric is growth 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 at all costs and then you have as you know the winners takes it all so even if he didn't show any profit uh, any profitability during almost 15 years you know he, he he succeeded in convincing markets that you have to see other metrics link you know and, and, and this is maybe uh, linked to the to, to the platforms and not all technologies but uh, let's say that you have a specific you know uh, um, patient maybe capital and and, and, and uh, entrepreneurial you know finance that is linked to such companies and that is not you know um, pushing and, and putting some pressures on classic you know uh, performance return on equity uh, uh, stories i remember you know uh, uh, hearing the the, the french uh, ceo of carrefour the french company i mentioned just before and he was uh, uh, saying and it's amazing because uh, i don't know if this is it's the same in the uk but uh, in all economic conferences and financial conferences in france uh, you would have the word amazon that will uh, pop up at a moment or another so uh, bombard the ceo of carrefour said bezos is a genius because he, he built an equity story and he convinced uh, financial markets, and he's a genius for for, for that. That uh, classic, uh, you know, financial performance is not uh, uh, the, the the good metric. So uh, um, you, you you have counter examples, I think. Yeah, I I, I think you do, and I, I I also agree with you. We've seen some interesting elements in that where Bezos has invested heavily in uh, space in Blue Origin, so he's definitely taking a long term view, as has Elon Musk and and others. So we've. We have this bit where the individuals seem to have a richer view. You know, what you seriously convinced me of, uh, Jaleel, is we should be almost uh, putting on our classic dashboard of how healthy our financial markets, uh, the long, uh, the, the time perceptions, both on equity and trading uh, and also on, on bonds and, and their issuance. And I think that's a deep indicator of health that we often skip over or only look at in presentations like this. But sadly, we've come to the end of time, um, which is great. It's so kind of you to dial in uh, from, from Spain today. And what I was going to do, if I could, is just to give three quick rounds of thanks, as ever, uh, to our sponsors. 
uh, all of whom are in, interested in technology and investment. So absolutely delighted that they've allowed us to have, have today's seminar with you. Um, I'd also like to thank the audience. Uh, it's a technical subject in many ways, and you've uh, risen to the occasion as ever. I'm always impressed with the FS Club audience out there. We have a pretty full week uh, this week with a webinar every single day. Uh, tomorrow, an absolutely fascinating one, almost uh, fully booked really, on the psychology of leading a hybrid workforce, which I think is going to be very important uh, post-pandemic, post-vaccination, what have you, um, and uh, going on. And then next week, a very uh, another uh, view from the continent on uh, EU insurance mutuals uh, dialing in from Brussels. So uh, some really fascinating stuff ahead, as ever, visit the website. Uh, but Jaleel, my last round of thanks is clearly to you. You're a dear friend, and it's always been a delight working with you. I certainly would never have published a book in French if it hadn't been for you. So I thank you for that. Many thanks for having me. able to open the floodgates of applause in these formats. Uh, but I do have my Korean karmic clapper here, and uh, I, I will use that to substitute for the audience applause, uh, which I know is out there. And you've got many, many thanks uh, coming in all of which I will pass on to you. Thank you very much, Julio. Thank you. Thank you all for your time also.